0: Last week we talked about grace and truth from the Gospel of John chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1. We've been looking at the prologue to John's Gospel where he really kind of outlines a summary of what the rest of the the book, the Gospel, his account of the life, the person, the work of Jesus is. And so as we've been going through, we have looked at a, a number of things and and again last week finished off with looking at grace and truth and we went We jumped ahead to John chapter 8 and looked at the woman caught in adultery and and how Jesus truly dealt with her graciously, but also truthfully. Uh, And so there's that balance. We talked about that balance in our lives. I'm not going to belabor that again, but uh, when we look at this, it's important uh, for us to understand the flow of how these things are written. And so I remember last week as we got started, I skipped over verse 14 or verse 15. Uh, I said, we'll come back to that next week. So here we are uh, where it says, well, let's start in verse 14 of John chapter one, where John writes "And the word became flesh and took up residence among us. By the way, I've started using the Holman Christian standard version (laughs) of the Bible. I noticed that a great many of you guys are and um, I like mixing it up. Uh, it's easy after we've read the same version of the Bible for a long time for it to just kind of become rote. And uh, it's stirring me up because I'm looking at it. It's the same thing. The essence is the same. It's just different words. Uh, so just FYI, we're, we're looking at this through the, the Holman Bible. Anyway, um, it says in verse 14, We observed his glory. The glory is of the only one, one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now in verse 15, it's connected to to verse 14. We didn't look at it last week because we're going to look at John the Baptist this morning says, John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this is the one of whom I said, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. So what John does here is really, and it's in parentheses on purpose, is, is he kind of inserts a parentheses here. He's talking about grace and truth and he's talking about the word becoming flesh and coming in dwelling. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago where he tented, tabernacled among us. And we looked at the, the parallels between the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And how Jesus came and tabernacled with us. The glory of God. Uh, but not concealed in the Holy of Holies once a, for once a year for the, the high priest to, to see. But actually to be out there among his people. What a glorious thing. And so we've looked at that. And what John, as he's going along here in, in his dialogue, uh, he's reminded that this isn't, and he reminds us, this isn't, isn't not his opinion. It's not something that he's just going to gloss over as he goes When he says the word became flesh and took up residence among us, he goes on to say, oh, by the way, John testified to essentially the same thing. And uh, when he said he he came after me and surpassed me, he existed before me. He's talking about the pre-existence of Christ. That, remember, in chapter 1, verse 1, you go back as far as you can and go further back than that and then further back than that and further back than that. infinitely that there's john or there's jesus uh, that he existed at the creation the creation came through him and so it's important for john to to state that and now as we look at this he goes into um, actually this is the beginning uh, of the narrative of jesus's life but before we do that i want to nicholas let me see here See if I can change these myself, okay. we'll get there. All right, this is a really small map, guys, so don't worry about it. But this is Israel during the time of Jesus. And you can see here, right down here is Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. And then uh, all of these things. I mean, this is a really narrow area of land. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a very small, Israel is a very small nation. So going to the next one, zooming up. I just I want to give you guys a point of reference because it's, it's, if we don't actually connect this to where it happened, then it, it can tend to stay in the abstract in our minds. And these are real events. And so it needs to come out of the abstract and into the real. So here is Jerusalem, where it remains today. And then where it says that John, at the end of the section, we'll see where, that he was uh, baptizing at Bethany beyond the Jordan. The Arabic word for that is El Magtas. And that's right over here. Here's the Jordan River going from the, the Dead Sea all the way up to the Sea of Galilee. It's off of this map. We'll look at that next week or in a couple of weeks when we look at um, the wedding at Cana, which was in the northern part of the country. But right here is where Jesus comes to be baptized by John. He goes to the eastern side of the Jordan River in present-day Jordan. Uh, and that's why it has an Arabic name, because it's, it, Jordan's an Arab nation. So the thing that's significant about this, and, and there's some debate among scholars, but Remember back, if you know your Old Testament, you know that when Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, that they came into the land of Canaan through Joshua. And and remember, of all the people that left Egypt, only those that were under 20 years old went in because of their disobedience at Kadesh Barnea, 14-day hike from Egypt, and they ended up spending 40 years. And so when they did finally come in, they came in right about here. The same place, uh, the same region, there's a very good chance, and, and again, there's some debate about it, so I'm not going to try to nail it down, but very good chance that exactly the same place where Jesus was baptized, and then he went in and began his public ministry. So just as a point of reference, i show you that this is what it looks like today. Now, it wouldn't have looked like that back 2,000 years ago. The Jordan River is drawn off of for agriculture and for other purposes and and people dump things into it. It's this far south of the Sea of Galilee. It's pretty polluted and it's real muddy and it's real slow. The river would have been a lot bigger and uh, the flow would have been a lot stronger. It would have had far less pollutants in it and it would have looked like this. It would have been a real vibrant looking river. So and now when people get baptized in Israel, they go all the way up to just south of the Sea of Galilee because there's a lot fresher water. My wife and I had the privilege of I was baptized by a pastor friend uh, when we went to Israel. And then I, in turn, was able to baptize my wife in the Jordan River. Uh, But it was north of this where the water was fresher. So just again, as a point of reference, so you understand where we're at um, when we look at these things? Uh, Jesus, is, there's going to be some interesting interaction here between John the Baptist and the religious leaders of the day. So as we get into that, let's look at verse 19, and we're going to read through to verse 28. Now that, again, John's prologue, he's finished with that, with the introduction of his gospel, he's going to start going into the narrative here of the person and work of Jesus. Verse 19, now this is John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? And he didn't refuse to answer, but he declared, I'm not the Messiah. Well, what then? They asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered who are you then? They asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And so they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. All of this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. I love it. These guys come. Now, when it says the Jews, uh, that term is used over 70 times in the Gospel of John. And when it says the Jews, it's not just talking about these guys as far as their nationality or their religious orientation. What it's talking about is the opposition to Jesus. And, and as we see in John's Gospel, as we see in the weeks and months ahead, whenever this term comes up, the Jews, it's not talking about the everyday guys, the Jews. It's talking about the religious leaders, the ones who would ultimately put him on the cross. So the Jews had sent uh, these guys from Jerusalem, It says that they sent priests and Levites, and they simply asked him, who are you? What is John's response? He says, essentially, I'm not the Messiah. So what he does is he responds with telling him who he's not. And I like that. I I like that because so often when people come and they want to know, you know, who are you, It's easy for us to go into this long deal about our lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he instantly points to Jesus. He instantly says, let me tell you about who I'm not. I'm not the one you think I might be. I'm not the Messiah. And so when it says that they sent priests and Levites to him, uh, it's interesting. The priests were sons of Aaron, and they were also Levites. Uh, The way that it worked in the Old Testament law, if you go back to Leviticus, you see where what God did was he commissioned one of the tribes, the, the sons of Levi, to be the priests. But they were only the priests of the sons of Levi if they were sons of Aaron within the sons of Levi. So you could be a Levite and not be a priest, but if you were a Levite, you were of the priestly line. And so you were tasked with, they packed up and they handled the furniture and the tabernacle and in the temple. They helped the priests in all areas, even though they weren't centrally doing the work of the priests. Does that make sense? So on both, these guys are, uh, they're of the priestly line and some are priests, some are Levites, some of the, the they're, and they weren't lower down, they were just had a different task. Both of them though, would be very well versed in their interpretations and i have to underline that of the law of moses because these guys had so the pharisees it's interesting they started out during the maccabean revolt in that 400 years when god got quiet after malachi prophesied god didn't say anything until for 400 years until john the baptist shows up well during that time This group called the Pharisees—they were a right-on outpouring, a fresh work of God in Israel. But as what happens when man gets his hands in there and starts messing things up? They had so cooled off to the things of God and so codified the law, that they had over 70 volumes of interpretations of God's law. And then they had interpretations of their interpretations of God's law. And some of those are still there today. I mean, when my wife and I were in Israel, you can't get on an elevator. You have to find the Shabbat elevator if you wanna be in Israel and go to your hotel. Because that thing automatically stops at every floor. And if you're on the 14th floor, forget it. Because you're not allowed to push a button. And, And they think somehow, again, I love in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about a veil lying over the Jews' hearts because that veil is removed in Christ, but there remains a veil over the hearts of the Jewish people to this day, those who have not embraced Jesus as Messiah. And so they were looking for Messiah back then. They still are looking for Messiah now because they rejected God's provision for them in Jesus the Messiah. The point is they sent these learned guys to go and check John the Baptist out because they wanted to find out about him. They wanted to find out if he was either a heretic or a lunatic. Because here's this guy, he's out on the backside of the Jordan River. He's not in Jerusalem where everything important happens. I mean, that was the blue collar neighborhood and he's out there with all the, or the white collar neighborhood, and he's out there with all the blue collar people, you know, all the common people. And so they were a little put off by that. And then he was doing these things The only thing, the only time when somebody was baptizing in Israel during those days in the first century is if you were a proselyte. If you were somebody that came from outside of Israel, if you were a Gentile converting to Judaism, then you needed to be baptized. But what John is doing here is he is baptizing people and he's simply making the statement you need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Folks, that is not the baptism that we have today. The the Christian baptism is completely different. And, And I'll explain that as we go along. But here's John, he's doing this baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Why? Because he was called to prepare a people for the coming Messiah. We are people on the other side of that. And so our baptism is different. And so as he's doing that, God is doing a new work in Israel. He's raised up this guy, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, and, and he's raised him up and he has commissioned him to pave the way for Messiah, for Jesus himself. And he knows that he's on the sea. He says, there's one standing, standing among you. that You don't even know. You don't recognize what's going on here. Another thing about when they asked John, who are you, they might have had an idea that he was of the priestly line himself. As I mentioned, uh, Elizabeth, John's mother, it tells us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter one, that she was from the sons of Aaron. So he would have definitely been of the priestly line on that side. On his father's side, remember Zacharias, he was in the temple. He was in the holy place, ministering in the temple. When Gabriel, the archangel, appeared to him and, and told him, uh, prophesied to him that his wife was going to have a baby and told him to name him John and the whole thing. Uh, Zacharias didn't believe him and so he became, he was, he lost his voice for a while. Uh, and the angel muted him until all of those things came to pass. So Here they are, they're they're asking John these questions, these probing questions, and the first thing he comes up with is telling them who he is not. So then it says, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. Have you ever talked to somebody, and all they do is give you one-word answers? (laughs) Drives me crazy when that happens. Yeah, I mean, they essentially say, well, who are you, John? No, I'm not the Messiah. Okay, are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Well, come on, give me more than that, is essentially what they're doing. (laughs) They're saying, you know, we've got to go back and tell these guys that sent us something. When they talk about Elijah, now Israel was expecting Elijah as well as they were expecting the Messiah because Elijah was supposed to come. Um, there's a prophecy in Malachi. I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. It's Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6 for you note takers. He says, Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. They took that verse as, and it is prophetic, as, Looking for Elijah to come and be the forerunner of the Messiah. And as the forerunner, they thought that he was going to come in and he was going to separate all the Gentiles out from the Jews. After all, they are the elevated ones, and that was how they looked at it. They had totally departed from the fact that their job was to be a light unto the nations, and that was what God called and set these people apart for. But they became spiritually arrogant and thought you know we're a cut above we don't have you know we're just they hadn't they went in they focused inward instead of outward and again folks something that i have seen in the church and i don't want to see it in our body here is if we become so focused inward that we're of no use to god outwardly we are to be a light unto the people around us we're to be a light in our community we're to be a light among other churches. I, I, you guys have heard me say before, we're plowing in the same field. I'm not in competition. We're not in competition with other churches in the community. I mean, unless they're, you know, weird doctrine churches like, you know, when I grew up in the LDS church and all that. But I'm talking about Christian churches. I mean, we're to be a light. We're to let our light so shine before men, as Jesus said, to glorify our Father in heaven and, and, and buy it to show people there's a better way to live. Not only that, but there's a better way to spend eternity than the alternative. You see. But these people have become focused inward. And something that I, will, I battle against, and our flesh loves to do, is to have what I call the, the white hat, black hat syndrome. I've got the white hat, those filthy people out there in the world have the black hats, look at how awful they're acting. And you know, it's easy to spot people who don't belong to Jesus, and sometimes it's easy to spot people who do and aren't behaving well, and to start thinking and let spiritual pride creep into our lives, into our hearts, and start thinking that we're just a cut above. Guard your hearts, folks. Guard your hearts. Don't let that come into your your way of looking at things. Because if it's not for the grace of God on my life and on your life, we have all got black hats. Straight up. It's an area that's very subtle. We can begin to think. And you know, so often people say, I found out what that person did. And, and my response often has been, can you expect anything more? from an unregenerate heart, from a heart that from the walking... And we were dead in our trespasses and sins, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. When we looked at the woman in adultery last week, can you expect anything more from somebody whose life has been sin? There's no consciousness of sin out there in the world. I mean, I love, and sometimes just by someone's language, I, I, I've known people that when they got saved, their vocabulary shrank dramatically. <laughs> but it's true. And you were in the service, you know. <laughs> but it's true. We can get into this hole, and it's spiritual pride. And so... What John is not doing is saying, yeah, I'm the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. So you better listen to me. No, he doesn't go, don't go there. The other thing he doesn't do, and it's something that, again, we can slip into the other side of that coin, and we can start thinking, you know, I'm just never going to add up to anything. I just I can't seem to get through the day without sinning, at least in my mind. I'm just, boy, I like amazing grace. Oh, it wasn't a wretch like me. You know, and we can get into this whole negative, this, this kind of bummer thing where we're just down on ourselves. Just down. And I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that's pride too. It's negative pride, but it's pride just the same because where is the focus? It's on self. It's on me. It's, it's on my inadequacies. It's on, I just, I'm just never going to measure up. I, me, me, I, 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 me, me, I, I, me. You know, that might as well be my vocabulary. Or it's, I, I, me, me, I, I, me, yeah, hey, you know, look at me, yeah, I'm sticking up here. And it's pride. Whether it's veiled pride or it's blatant pride doesn't change the fact that my focus is not on him my sufficiency, my focus is upon me. And, and again, I, I just encourage you as the spirit works in your heart and reveals those things, give it to him. I was talking with uh, one of our boys this week and, and I said, you know, Justin, it's just, our flesh is so insidious. He said, I know, dad, he's a, a Bible teacher. He's an elder in a church down in Northern California. And he's just, he's a mature believer and all that. And he said, you know, it's just, I just struggle i said we all do and, and he was we were talking about this very thing and he said yes it's like I, it's, my goal is to just come to a point in my christian experience in, in my walk with the lord where i just don't have any account of myself at all not up not down a little ditty i heard many years ago and and it's this it's avoid the inflation that comes from adulation Adulation means undue praise. Oh, you're so wonderful. And avoid the deflation. That comes from flagellation. Flagellum is, you know, is what they use to whip people. But again, as, as we battle this old nature, this sin nature that still rears up inside of us, those of us that are, that are constrained, controlled by the Holy Spirit, we battle. There, and the Bible says there's this battle that goes on in our hearts. And, and and so avoid what happens when you start thinking you're all that and more, but also avoid thinking that you're just really kind of a worm. I love what one guy he said Jesus didn't die for no junk. And and my son said Yeah, I just I just want to come to where I just don't have any account of myself at all. I just I just want to be who he sees me as. And that praise the Lord. I love hearing that from one of your kids.. <laughs> so John doesn't go to either one of these when he's being examined by these uh, priests and Levites, and they're examining him. Again, they want to find out if he's uh, either a heretic, which means a false guy, you know, falsely representing Judaism, and in their minds he was, or a lunatic in the first century and in ancient cultures they truly believed and this is where the word lunatic came from that if somebody spent too much time out in the moonlight literally that they were smitten by the moon that it messed up their brains and they became a lunatic and that's truly where it came from and they want to find out has this guy been out getting too much moonlight He's saying some pretty radical things. He's grasshoppers and honey. That's his diet. So they say, what then? Jesus had this to say about John the Baptist, his cousin, six months older than him, but infinitely younger. He says, I assure you, Among those, this is in Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 through 15. He says, I assure you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How come? Because John didn't live to see the things that his contemporaries did. His life was cut very short. He appears for just a moment, and then he's gone. He appears just long enough to prepare a people to receive Messiah and then he's gone taken out of the way and then executed by Herod but he says from the in verse 12 of Matthew 11 he says from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence and the violent have been seizing it by force he knew what had happened or was had had taken place with John Um, from and He says, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. He says, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we have John saying, I'm not Elijah. And we have Jesus saying, he is Elijah. How do you reconcile that? You know, I love, again, there are times where people say, well, you know, i don't get all of this it's like well keep coming because you can't get the full counsel of god in one sunday you just can't and that's one of the things when we teach verse by verse when we teach verse by verse line upon line chapter by chapter book by book through god's word we're letting it speak to us and as we go along we find that apparent difficulties get resolved and so i'm giving you a shortcut this morning you not you don't have to wait until we study luke But in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel saying uh, to Zechariah here, it says, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's talking about John the Baptist. He won't be Elijah, but he will go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah. And what Jesus is saying essentially is validating what the angel said to Zechariah. So here, and, and so what about Elijah? What happens with him? I don't know. You could look at the Mount of Transfiguration. Those of you Bible students, when Jesus appeared, he went up on the mountain, and he took James and John, Peter with him. Peter wanted to build tents and go camping up there. Okay, that's my own paraphrase. But he said, wow, this is great. Let's stick around. Because he saw Jesus in his glory. And who appeared to Jesus? Moses and Elijah. Elijah representative of the entire old covenant the law and the prophets and when you see a reference in your bible in the new testament to the law and the prophets it's talking about the old testament the old covenant talked about that before covenant contract agreement it's it's god's covenant with us not us with him you know we don't get to we don't get to edit (laughs) it's his deal And so in the Old Covenant, the law and the prophets. So was that Elijah's appearing then? I don't know. Well, I mean, I believe that he's yet to come. If you look in Revelation chapter 11, you see two witnesses. Is one of them Elijah? My personal opinion? Not going to tell you. No. (laughs) Uh, My personal opinion is yeah. Uh, But it doesn't say. It just talks about the two witnesses. So that's up for grabs, but essentially to get back on track here, these guys are saying, are you Elijah? And John says, no, I'm not Elijah. And they said, you know, are, are you the prophet? And the, the prophet was the guy in Deuteronomy chapter 18. It says, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. He goes on to, to outline in Deuteronomy 18, and it's a good one for us to know, the test of a prophet. If every word that he says doesn't come true, you're under no obligation to listen to him. I have heard people say, oh, I'm the prophet for this area. And it's like, wow, uh, what do you got to say? <laughs> <And> usually... <laughs> I find out they're not, (laughs) but and, and it's important to know that. But in Deuteronomy 18, he does say that there will come a prophet, and these people were looking for Elijah, they were looking for the prophet, they were looking for Messiah, and John and all three says, no, it's not me. Well, then they say, well, who are you then? They said, in verse 22, they said, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. And here he quotes Isaiah chapter 40. He's saying, you know, there is a fulfillment to be had here. Not with Messiah, not with Elijah, not with the prophet. But he was essentially stating he is the fulfillment of what was prophesied in Isaiah 40. And interesting here, he's, he quotes this, he says, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, I don't have it capitalized there, but it should be, because it, the word Lord, L-O-R-D, should be all caps. When you see Lord in all caps in the Bible, that means... Jehovah, or Yahweh. I, I like Yahweh, Yahweh better. It's, it's a tetragrammaton. There are no vowels in it. It's YHWH or YHVH. Take your pick. But it was the sacred covenant name of God from Exodus chapter 3. And so when you see Lord in there, it was because the Jews felt that it was such a sacred name that they couldn't say it. And when John the Baptist says, make a straight way for the Lord as he's ushering in Jesus... He didn't have any trouble recognizing Jesus as God. We've been talking about that. Through him, everything was made that's been made. That he came fully man, fully God. And John knew that. And he's saying, yeah, I'm the one. I'm just a voice. Interesting. The Greek word for the word voice, I thought it was interesting. This is just a side note. That and you know, a couple of bucks. Well, a dollar at McDonald's. You can get a cup of coffee. But I know. Ed and I, that's the talk We had. We were, we were impressed, you can you still get a cup of coffee for a dollar, and this isn't a McDonald's ad. But, I lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> the word voice here is the word phone in Greek. This is like we use for telephone. And telephone means to transmit my voice, to broadcast my voice, and that's how we came up with that word, and I thought, well, that's interesting. I'll share that with the people and they'll be blessed. Maybe. <laughs> Doesn't have a thing to do with our study, but uh, I like checking out the original language, it's, it's good. I, and I know when Mark was here, uh, Mark Knudsen, uh, the transitional pastor, that he was getting you guys to dig in, and I thought that was great. Because there are some real nuggets, some pearls, if we look, uh, often, if we get a good concordance, and you don't have to be a Greek scholar, or a Hebrew scholar, but there's some really good stuff in checking out the original languages. So, uh, But he says, I'm the voice uh, of one crying out in the wilderness. And folks, in Israel, um, let me go back here. All right, right here. All right. Let's go back to the map right here. All right, here is the Mediterranean Sea, okay? So the west coast of Israel is at the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea. And this is all coastal lowlands. You see, that's kind of flat. You can't see the mountain configuration real well on this map. But it starts getting hilly in here. And it goes all the way to mountains. And Jerusalem is at the crest of the mountains. And that goes all the way up the country and all the way down. So Jerusalem is this beautiful city that is just up from the coastal lowlands. I mean, you look out here, there's Joppa. That's modern-day Tel Aviv. And there's stuff in the Book of Acts about that uh, with Cornelius and all. But, um, so here's Jerusalem here, and uh, now where Jesus is, is over here. What happens from here, it's just like in eastern Oregon, you get to the top of the Cascades, and it's gorgeous. And you get a few miles past the top of the Cascades, and it's, if you like the desert, it's gorgeous. But it's nowhere near as gorgeous as the forest, in my opinion, but, I mean, it, it's the same kind of deal. The clouds stop, the rainfall at the top of these mountains here. And so they have what's called the desert here. And so when you see desert, it would be like what we see in eastern Oregon. And after that is wilderness. Now wilderness, in New Testament terms, is rocks. I mean, there's nothing out there. And I mean nothing. It is hot. It is miserable. I couldn't find bugs. I sat on, and that was good but I was in the the wilderness of Judea down in here somewhere um, and I mean I sat on a rock outcropping for a couple of hours and just prayed it was one of the most glorious things that I've ever done because there was nothing to distract me I mean nothing I can't stress that enough when it says wilderness it's wilderness you don't want to be out there for very long if you don't have provisions. And I marvel that Jesus spent 40 days out there in the wilderness of Judea. After he was baptized, it says the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. So understand that. Here's John. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And um, it's just important to understand that when we talk about that, when you talk about Israel, the the beautiful, I mean, it is a land flowing with milk and honey west of the mountains. After that, there's not much. And there's still not much. So it says in verse 25, they said that they'd been sent from the Pharisees. And so they asked him, why then do you baptize? You go ahead and advance that, Nicholas. Thanks. Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? He says, I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. And he's the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. When we talk about the baptism of John, folks, it's real important that we understand. As I mentioned earlier, it's not the baptism that we have, our baptism is a response. Their baptism was a condition. Okay, what I mean by that is God was preparing a people to receive Messiah. And there was this period of time that as he raised up John the Baptist, he wanted to demonstrate to Israel, because John's baptism was for Israel, okay? He wanted to demonstrate to Israel that something new, something different something very deep and very profound was taking place. Jesus wasn't just showing up to bring along the status quo. He was showing up with a whole new program. And I mean that in a good way, I'll just say. So from there, I want to go to Matthew chapter 3, and we'll spend just a few minutes there before we finish up this morning. And I want to look at some things. Matthew 3, verses 7 through 15. Now, this is John the Baptist's narrative in the Gospel of Matthew. And we see here that, that John evidently had more than one conversation with these guys because here he's talking to priests and Levites. And in Matthew, he's talking to the Pharisees themselves. Okay? These do mesh together uh, very well. I'm not going to spend a lot of time meshing them together here because there are some points I want to get to and we don't have a lot of time. It says in verse 7 of Matthew 3 that when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the place of his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. That's a nice how do you do? I've never shown up and had anybody say that to me, and I praise God for that. (laughs) Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Okay, these are the religious leaders. If you notice something in the Gospels, folks, Jesus, when he pokes people in the chest, it's not sinners, it's not harlots, it says he dines with them. He doesn't endorse their life, but he, he receives sinners gladly, it says. It was the guys that thought they were there. They thought they were there. Through their tangled webs of obedience, they thought that they were making righteousness. That's why in Matthew chapter um, 5, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount... He says your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the pharisees or you will in no way see the kingdom of heaven in other words you can't manufacture it it has to be given to you that's part of the wonder of the work of the cross we are immersed in the righteousness of jesus justified the book of romans is great it goes into such detail on what our justification means and so these guys They come up to John the Baptist, and he sees right through them. He sees their religious hucksterism, if you will. And he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says, therefore, in verse 8, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. What these guys relied on was their national heritage. I'm a Jew. I'm not only a Jew, as Paul says in Philippians three, where he's denouncing all of that stuff. I'm I'm sort of a Jew of Jews. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And you know, Paul he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had the equivalent of a double PhD as far as education goes, taught by Gamaliel himself, and on and on. And what is Paul's attitude towards that? I count it all as dung. That's the Bible word. I, I count it as rubbish that I may know Jesus and and to have a personal relationship with him because it wasn't by heritage. It was gonna become personal, intimately personal, one person at a time. One person at a time had to show up for this baptism of John's. It wasn't something he said, you're all ready for the Messiah. No, why? Because it required now not membership in a club, not membership in Judaism, but it required a choice. It required a choice. That had never happened with these people. Yeah, they had to choose if they were going to, you know, go along with the Levitical sacrificial system and all that stuff. Yeah, of course. And there were faithful Jews. But God is doing something different. I mentioned he's doing something different with John. And what he's doing with John is he's saying it is becoming individual now. It's not a group. It's a group of individuals that will become my body, the body of Christ. We are a group, but well, we're a group of individuals. And that's way different than anything God had done with these people before. And so he says, you brood of vipers, you think that you're in because you can name Abraham? That's what he's saying. He says, yeah, we have Abraham for our father. You know, kind of, yeah, look at me. Yeah, I'm a child of Abraham. And essentially he's saying, so What? Do you have Jesus, is what we would look at now. He's stating stating that salvation is not going to be through Abraham or heritage or lineage or the law or any other thing. It's going to be through Messiah, who's about to show up. He says in verse 10, even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's basically saying, Israel, you are ripe for judgment. And the axe has been laid, laid at the root of the tree. God is ready to judge because you have so missed it. And they would continue to miss it. I think it's interesting here that the first words that are making reference to the new covenant, that God's doing something different here that some of the last words would be Jesus coming over the, the brow of the hill on the Mount of Olives as he looked out over the Temple Mount and he saw the city and he began to cry and he wept over the city and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you've killed the prophets that I've sent to you. I would long to have gathered you as a, chick, a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And because of this, because you've missed the day of your visitation. And this is the beginning of that day. Not one stone of you will be left upon another as he prophesies against the city. And in 70 AD, the Roman legions under Titus after a four year siege would decimate the city. This is the beginning of that. And judgment did come. The ax did go against the root of the tree. Verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I, and I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. Same thing he says in John. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Reference there, the day of Pentecost. Yeah, there's a water baptism that's available to every believer. But there's also a baptism of the Spirit. We'll get into that more further in the Gospel of John when John lays out the ministry of the Holy Spirit and why it's expedient that he had to leave physically so that he could come and indwell us with the very presence of Jesus, the very life of Jesus inside of us and no longer bound by time and space so that he could work his will through us and that we would be his representation on planet Earth, which we are. Where is scrapping with each other? Where is trivial things? Where is trying to compete for goofy stuff? These are weighty, important issues. And they're as relevant today as they were then. In verse 12, he says, his winnowing shovel is in his hand. Again, a reference to judgment. And he'll clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn up with fire that never goes out. It's unquenchable. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me. And John answered, or Jesus answered him and said, allow it for now, because this way uh, is for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him to be baptized essentially to fill all righteous, fulfill all righteousness is the same thing I was talking about a minute ago. Jesus could look down and know that we can't produce our own. We are utterly at his mercy. And we are utterly at the effect of his grace. We can't. Don't try enjoy your walk with the lord enjoy the fact that he is the one who sanctifies he is the one who justifies he is the one who cleanses and who he not only cleanses us and brings us up to here but he justifies us and brings us way above the line so that we can live a lousy life no so we can live a life of abundance of fruitfulness of love joy and peace in the holy spirit that's his will so for you and I it's not repent and be baptized it's repent and believe because repentance is part of it Repentance let's talk about that for a minute it's it's largely underapplied in the church Yes there is a repentance an initial repentance that leads to salvation And that's what he says, you need to repent of your sins and to believe, to to simply trust that Jesus died for those sins. And He not only died for those sins, he rose from the dead to give you life. See, it doesn't stop with the cross. It goes way beyond the cross into the life that we have available to us. And and, and again, I I just look at it, it's like, no, we don't need to live like we used to. We have been given the ability to have a renewed mind. And that comes through repentance. I talked last week a little bit about humility and how what God's will is for us is that we humble out and realize, you know what, I can't make the grade myself. I need, I don't just want him, I need him. There is no way I can stand before him were it not for his grace upon my life. There is no way that I have anything of substance to say if he's not driving that, just like John the Baptist. And, nope, not the Messiah. Nope, nope, not Elijah. Nope, not the prophet. You know, because his sole purpose and his mission in life was to point to Jesus. And I'd submit to you, brothers and sisters, that's ours. As we consider repentance, it's not just repentance to salvation. But there is an ongoing process in our lives. This as though I am going along and the Lord, the Spirit of God, convicts my heart. And he shows me an area. I was sharing with a guy last week about many years ago when in my business. I, I The Lord prospered this business. We started every day with prayer. And pretty soon we got a dozen people. And I'm going, this is costing a lot. And the Lord said, pray. Okay, we'll pray. <laughs> so we did. But... You know, I, I would just go along in this deal. And, and pretty soon I, I, was, I had prayed coming out of Bible college. Lord, I'd love to have a little flock to shepherd. And I was really upset with one of my employees one day. And, and it was like, I just i threw something in the air, I think. Yeah, I was being a big baby. Uh, don't look at me like that. You can do that too. But anyway, <laughs> I was. But you know, the point is, is, is I, the Lord, the Holy Spirit stopped me dead in my tracks. And he said, John, you asked me for this. And I was like, what do you mean? You asked me for a little flock to shepherd. Who are you to say whether I do that through a church or a business? I was convicted to the core. And I repented. Lord, please forgive me. I need to get this thing back on course. You've given me this powerful ministry with these guys, and I didn't even see it coming. That's how he does things. He kind of surprises us. Well, wow, you're using me? Oh, great. You know, that kind of a deal. But in our lives daily, if I'm at odds with my wife, I cannot wait to get right. I, I hate it when we are separated, when we are not together. And I've learned the value of repentance, folks, and I want to never move away from that. It is misunderstood, misapplied in the church. We need to be a people that are accustomed to repentance. And what that takes, guys, is you need to humble out and realize that you're not all that and more. And you know what? Maybe what it takes is for somebody to make that first step. Very often for reconciliation to come about, somebody has to make that first move. And the Bible tells us pride, only by pride comes contention. Let it go. Let it roll off. Have what we called in my house, kids growing up, put on your big boy pants. <laughs> but I mean, truly, he's, he says, you know, I, I want to have a people that are accustomed to repentance. So repentance is part of our lives. It's not what drives us to Jesus in, in, in the sense of repent and be baptized, but it's what drives us to Jesus in the sense of repenting of our sins and asking Him to forgive us and to cleanse us. I mean, the Christian bar of soap, 1 John one nine. I call it the Christian bar of soap. If we confess our sins, which means, the word confess means to agree with. If we agree with him, yeah, that's sin. He's faithful and just and to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wonderful news. It involves the act of repentance. The beautiful act that he's given us to stay current with him and to stay current with one another. And, and to be like the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, I love when he says somewhere, that's all right, he said that too, um, he says, you know, I'm conscious of nothing against myself. He didn't say, yeah, I haven't sinned. We all know better. We're fallible. That's why he calls upon us to have grace for one another. But he says, you know, I'm not conscious of anything against myself. And that's a far better way to be than to walk around with a dark cloud over my head because I'm stuck in my pride and I'm not willing to tell that person, I'm sorry. I've been acting unbecomingly. I've been holding a grudge. I've been, what? fill in the blank. Allow God to work in your heart and invite him to work in your heart, in your life, in the area of repentance. It's a beautiful thing that he's given us. It's not something, in our flesh we resist it, Uh, I'm not going to tell him Uh, uh, sorry. You know, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. That's why. Get rid of that thing. It's coming between you and the Lord, not just you and that person. It comes between you and the Lord. Stay fresh. I'm going to stop there. I think we're about done. Anyway, I just encourage you guys, uh, as we consider John the Baptist and the unique ministry that God gave him, uh, inviting Israel to a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins so that they would be able to see Messiah when he showed up. And the, the baptism that God gives us, not just the water baptism, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are three things, I'll just give you this, it's kind of a preview for way on further in the Gospel of John. Three aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that God does in our lives. There is a with. That's when I'm conscious of my need for Christ. And there's this with, there's this nagging thing. I need to get my life right with God. That's the with. Jesus told his disciples, He says, He's with you, but He will be in you. And then when He breathed on Him, remember in the upper room, we'll get to that. That He comes and he takes up residence at the moment of my salvation he comes and he takes up residence in my heart and begins to change me from the inside out. That's the in. The upon happened on the day of Pente- Pentecost for these guys the tongues of fire over their heads and speaking in languages that they didn't that they actually understood, but foreign languages and of men and of angels as we're told. But the upon is when the Lord commissions us, Because the upon comes for service. It doesn't come for a a circus sideshow, as much as some people want to do that. There's a lot of abuses out there. But the Lord never gives gifts and visions in a vacuum. He gives them for service. And then he equips us through a coming upon, through a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can have more than one want to talk to me more not more about that, you're welcome to. I mean, I can't go into it now, but just want to encourage you. Uh, let repentance be an earmark of your life, because it's something that keeps us bound together. Relationships don't fail if repentance is in place. Churches move forward in, in dramatic ways when we're humble enough to say, you know what, I didn't get it right. Eh, please forgive me. I'm sorry. And there's a true godly contrition that goes with it let's pray father thank you for your word here in the gospel of john and just how powerfully you impact us with these truths and lord i pray for each one here uh, for those that perhaps may not know you that this would be the day of their salvation that they would repent and believe in the power of the cross the power to forgive, the power to cleanse, the power to cause us to stand up straight and to live a life that we never knew was possible. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here in that place that they would do business with you right now to not wait another minute. If that's you, come and talk to me or one of the elders after the service. We'd love to pray with you. For the rest of us, Father, if perhaps your Holy Spirit has put his hand on an area of our lives where we need to do business with you, let us not walk out of here without doing that business with you Lord. grant us the spirit of repentance grant us those humble and contrite hearts in those areas where we need to perhaps get straight with others perhaps get straight with you we love the fact that you've given us this privilege of being able to stay current and not pack things around and we love you we praise you for this morning we praise you for all you're doing in our lives We ask, Lord, we invite you to continue that work, and we know you're faithful to complete it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.